It's crazy that it's uh, 2022 already. I don't know where 2021 went. Uh, but the legend has it on October 8th, um, 1871, at about 8.30, at the O'Leary household, a cow knocked over a lantern. And for three days, a fire burned. And there was uh, severe devastation. Um, it's, it is said, when it was all said and done, approximately 300 people were killed. Over three and a half square miles of the city was burned, and over 100,000 people became homeless. Uh, it's estimated that over $175 million worth of property damage occurred within those three days. Of course, um, that event has been come to know, be known as the Great Chicago Fire. I apologize to the prices if that's a little too close to home. Um, but that event went on to influence uh, much of how we live today. I remember fresh out of high school, I was uh, studying to be a firefighter. A lot of things changed from um, then to now, but um, they made reference to that event. And from that event, so many things changed. Uh, there were implementations that were put in as far as how buildings were to be built, um, it also sparked, I guess, an evolution as far as how our firefighting force was developed. It changed basically everything in this country. But it all came from severe devastation. 100,000 people lost their homes. Crazy. When we think of events like that, it's crazy to think that you and I are capable of causing even more damage than that. You don't need a lantern. You don't need a cow to blame it on for, for knocking it over. Each and every one of us are able to cause even worse damage than that with just the words that we speak. And we're going to see that in God's Word in James chapter 3. So if you would uh, turn with me to James chapter 3. I will uh, confess to you. Uh, when I started to speak through the book of James, there were passages I was very excited to speak on, and then there were passages that I was not so excited to speak on. And this is uh, falling in the latter category, um, but we will get through this together. Uh, James chapter 3, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 12 this morning. James 3, starting in verse 1, it says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able to bridle also the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at the ships. They are so large and are driven by fierce winds, and they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and every creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. 
With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree, brethren, bear olives or grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Uh, Let's just pray one more time. Our Father in heaven, we do uh, just think of uh, the uh, passage that our brother read this morning of the Ethiopian eunuch as he was reading the word and, and um, he was asked, do you understand the things that you are reading? Uh, Father is thinking of his response as he would say, how can I unless someone explain it to me? And Father, that's the same thing that we would cry out to you for today. Father, how can we understand your word unless you are the one who explains it to us? Father, it's impossible for us to comprehend uh, these things and to know exactly how you would have your word to impact us this morning. And so we cry out to you for help. Uh, We ask that you would indeed speak to our hearts individually, uh, but also corporately. Father, um, help us to see the great danger um, that the words uh, that we speak hold. Uh, But Father, also how we might use our words to glorify and honor you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, so I've mentioned before, as we look at the book of James, uh, James is speaking to the very first generation of believers. Uh, not only is he speaking to the very first generation of believers, but these are people who have come out of the Jewish faith, and yet they have come to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as their Messiah and are saved. And um, one thing that has really helped me looking at the book of James is to, to look at James in light of who he's writing to. Obviously, we should do that with every book of the Bible, but James, especially when you consider what these people were called out of and what they were called into. Um, They were called into the same faith that you and I are called into as well. However, they don't have the advantage that we have. Uh, They they didn't have the whole of Scripture as we have today. They didn't have the generations behind them that they could look back and reflect on um, how they were to face certain issues or crises, they were completely in the dark. And so James is writing this letter to these believers, instructing them on how they are to live as now they are the children of God. Um, so, so it's very interesting when you look at the book in that way. Uh, we considered chapter 2 the last time I spoke and how James exhorts them that if they are children of God, they are to act as such. Uh, That is to say that the people of this world could look at their life and their faith would speak for itself in their actions. And so now he moves on and he addresses something that um, I guess you could say is much more practical or more specific. He puts his finger on the words in which we speak. But it's interesting uh, that he starts off in verse 1. He says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers. And so not only is he speaking to the the audience as a whole, but he narrows it down specifically to a group of individuals who are seeking to be teachers in the church. Now, there was an issue, it seems, um, in this group of people that there were many people aspiring to be teachers. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but he's encouraging them to not do so lightly. He says... He says, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Uh, not, it's possible we might get judged to a higher extent. 
depending on what you say, we'll see. No, it's, it's very specific. We shall receive a stricter judgment. You see, the Lord holds teachers of his word to a much higher standard than he would hold everyone else. Why? Because if I'm supposed to stand up here this morning and tell us how the word of God says we are to live our life, then that message better be true in my life, because otherwise I'm just a hypocrite. And this is something that the, Jew, the Jewish people never really fully comprehended. Uh, in this culture, they really revered teachers. Um, it was kind of interesting doing a lot of reading on teachers in the, in the Jewish society. There's no higher, I guess, reverence someone would receive than a teacher. Uh, one person even said it this way. Uh, he, he came from the Jewish faith. He said, if, and this is a common teaching, I don't know why the, the Jewish people would teach us, but it's a common teaching where if, say, a, a rabbi, a teacher, and your parents were kidnapped, you should pay the ransom for the rabbi before your parents because uh, they were revered so much higher. So it's kind of interesting when, when you consider just uh, weird things like that. But that was a common understanding. Someone who taught the word of God was held at a very high, prestigious, um, I guess, reverence that the people had for them. And, 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 and James is saying, looking back at the history, there were many Jewish teachers who would go and present the word of God, and yet they wouldn't live it out in their own lives. You remember what the Lord said of the Pharisees, and I know this was in reference to their prayers and their worship, but I think it can sum up really their whole relationship with God. He said, these people draw near to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Uh, And that was the story of the Pharisees. They might have known the word of God. They might have been able to answer questions regarding the word of God, how the law was to be obeyed, and yet they themselves Their hearts were so distant from the Lord. And so James is exhorting this group of people to not aspire to be a teacher of the word of God and take that lightly. Now, if you're here this morning and you think, well, luckily I'm not really involved in teaching the word of God, then I can kind of use this as an excuse to get some eye-resting time. You know, not not that many of you don't do that already. I I do notice occasionally, but uh, that's okay. Usually Maggie asks me as we drive off, she's like, how do you think it went? And I say, well, three people fell asleep, you know. Uh, I, won't, I won't call out names, but I do notice. I do notice. Um, but the reality is, um, even if you are not specifically involved or called by God to teach the word of God, this passage is very applicable to each and every one of us. Because every believer is called to one extent or another to be a teacher of the word of God. Uh, to the parents specifically, are you not called to, to, to teach your children and to train them up in the way that they should go? Um, or to do so with one another as iron sharpens one another. Um, but I was thinking specifically of the, the Great Commission. Uh, obviously, it, the Lord tells us that we're called to, to go out and make disciples of all the world. Does anyone know what the word disciple means in the Greek? You guys can respond verbally if uh, you do. A learner. A learner. Yeah, some of the old, old-timers would use the word pupil. I remember um, I first uh, heard, it was actually my grandpa, I'll never forget this. He was uh, preaching on the Great Commission, and, and he talked about how a disciple is a pupil. And at 13, 14 years old, I, was, I pictured a pupil in the eyeball. And I, I was thinking, how in the world are we to, are we to help people see? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to make the connection. I'm really slow to these things. So. Uh, but yes, a, a learner. But specifically in the Great Commission, the Lord says, teaching them to observe all things that I command you. 
So each and every person here, if, if you're not someone who stands here and teaches uh, to the congregation, if you're not a Sunday school teacher downstairs to the children, if you're, if you're single, you don't have any kids, you're not married, whatever the case is, you're still called to be, to one extent or another, a teacher of the Word of God. So the question is, thinking specifically of the Great Commission, are we really fulfilling that call? And I know I'm not, I know that's in reference to going out into the world and making disciples. I know I personally need huge uh, improvement in that area. But are we fulfilling that calling here in these four walls? Each and every one of us is called to disciple someone and to train them up in the way that they should go, to teach them concerning the things of the Word of God and how we are to live our lives. Are we doing that? I've really, really been thinking and praying about that um, this week and for, for a few months now. Are we fulfilling the Great Commission even in these four walls? Are we burdened for specific people in this room to pour our lives into? We should be. Whether you're the oldest saint and most mature or the youngest in their faith and, and maturity in Christ, we're all called to pour our lives into someone And if you aren't, seriously ask the Lord, who would you pour yourself into? Who would the Lord lay on your heart today to pour into their lives? Um, We definitely need that little tangent. I apologize. Um, So anyways, he, 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 he starts specifically speaking about teachers and how they will receive a stricter judgment. Um, because the Lord holds them to a higher standard. But I want to just say something that I've learned. Um, I was thinking about this this week, and the Lord has given me a lot of um, opportunity to be around a lot of faithful uh, men and women who are just faithful servants of the Lord, very diligent students in the Word. I've been able to learn from them, to, to serve alongside them. But one thing I've come to learn, and I think this is important for all of us to, to understand, The best sermons aren't necessarily the ones you hear. The best sermons are the ones you see. Uh, The best doctrine, sound doctrine one can possess is not simply an an understanding or an ability to explain something. But if you can see it in someone's life, uh, that's the most uh, impactful uh, sermon that you could have. So anyways, as James is addressing this issue, he he, he feels as the Spirit is leading them to address uh, these people who are aspiring to be teachers of the Word of God. Um, and yet, I think as the Spirit of God is moving him to write, he starts to think about how people use their tongues in general. And so there are three things we want to look at uh, today as we consider the tongue. Uh, the first is the indications of the tongue. Second, the inflictions of the tongue. And thirdly, the inconsistencies of the tongue. So the indications, inflictions and inconsistencies of the tongue. So what is the first indication of the tongue? Well, the first thing we see right off the bat is the tongue indicates one's spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity. Our tongue is an indication of spiritual maturity. Look at verse 2, and this is a a great comfort to me. If if all James wrote was was this first part of chapter 2, I would take a lot of comfort in it. He says, for we all stumble in many things. You can just put Nick Weaver right next to that in your Bibles, because that is so true of me. We all stumble in many things. We all fail in many areas, in in many diverse ways in our life. We all fail. He says, but if 
anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Uh, whenever James uses that word perfect in the book of James, um, it, it doesn't necessarily carry the idea that we would think of perfection. Um, we would think of um, having someone having arrived at a, at a place in which they are sinless and holy, uh, but that's not the idea you see when James uses this word perfect. The idea is whole or mature. And so what he is saying is, we all stumble in many things, but if someone does not stumble in word, He's able to control his whole body, and he is a perfect man. He is, he is a mature man. And you think, well, James, how can you say that? Are you saying that if someone is able to control the things in which he says he is a mature person, he can control his whole body? I mean, really, how can you say that? Can you really back that up? Well, he does that by giving two examples. And, and if you look at it from that light, as James is writing this, perhaps he, he anticipates that question being asked. If someone controls his tongue, he controls his whole body. He then gives an example of a bit in a horse's mouth. And, and it's very appropriate that he uses a horse. He could have used a donkey. He could have used a camel. But he uses a horse. A horse being much more majestic than the other two options. Much more powerful. And yet he says you have this beast, beautiful beast, very powerful, and yet it's controlled by just a small piece of metal in its mouth. And if you hold on to the reins, by, because of that little piece of metal, you're able to steer that puppy wherever you want him to go. So it's very interesting. And then he uses the example of a ship. Although this ship is directed by even the fiercest winds, the strongest winds, it's going to move. But if you, if you just hold the... Well, I don't even know if you'd call it a steering wheel back in the days. Whatever the case was, uh, if, if you just direct the rudder, that, that ship is going to move wherever the pilot desires it to go. So he uses those two examples. But the, the thing we want to notice from this is that it indicates how mature someone is spiritually. And I, and I was really thinking about this. Why is it that the tongue is the hardest thing to control in our life. It is by far the hardest thing to control. I think every Christian can, can say that they struggle with this to an extent. And the reason for that is the tongue has the ability to put any sin into words. Uh, the tongue is able to put any sin into words. And um, normally I try and stay in one passage, but uh, I don't want it to turn topical. But there are some verses that I'd like to incorporate into this message to help us understand this greater. Um, so take a second and turn to Matthew chapter 5, if you would. Matthew chapter 5. As we uh, just think of... Um, the tongue having the ability to put any sin into words. These are very familiar passages, so that it won't really even need much explanation. Uh, 521. This is the Lord Jesus speaking. Um, this is his uh, message, that famous Beatitudes. Uh, but Matthew 5, verse 21, it says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whoever says, and says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. 
uh, kind of extreme if you think about it. I mean, he, he starts by saying, you've heard people say that you should not murder. Well, if you call your brother a fool, then you're, you're just as guilty as a murderer. I mean, that's crazy. The, the tongue has the ability to put any sin into words. And that, that is why what James is saying, if, you, if someone is able to control their tongue, he is a perfect man. He, he, he has reached a state of spiritual maturity. Now, it's important to say that um, he, he prefaces it by saying we all stumble in many things. So that he doesn't carry this idea that he never misspeaks. But the idea is he has more control over his tongue than he lacks control of it. And he says, this person is perfect. He is, he is a mature person spiritually. And so um, one of the things we see about the heart or the tongue is that it is an indication of, of um, someone's spiritual maturity. The second thing we see is um, it indicates the state of someone's heart. So you see the spiritual maturity aspect, but you can also see into someone's heart just by listening to the words they speak. Uh, Luke 6.45 says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Um, if you would, if you're hopefully still in Matthew, Matthew uh, 15, turn over a few pages to Matthew 15. Matthew 15, and we're going to look at um, verse 10. This is uh, one of the many times in which the scribes and Pharisees come to the Lord and uh, they are rebuking the Lord because their disciples are eating bread, but they didn't go through the whole process of washing their hands. Um, not specifically just the, the washing of their hands, but they had a very specific way in which um, the Pharisees had believed one should wash their hands. And so he, they kind of rebuke him. Uh, but in verse 10, this is the Lord's response. When he had called the multitudes to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. And we're going to skip a few verses. Um, the disciples are kind of perplexed by this. Peter ends up going up to the Lord and asking him about this. Look at verse 17. The Lord says to Peter, do you not understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. So what the Lord is saying is here are the Pharisees getting on you about not washing your hands, but they, they're, they're failing to realize something that's very critical. I, I, should, I should show this passage to a lot of the mothers who say, you, you know, the kids need to wash their hands or whatever. I'm, but uh, what he's saying is they're missing something very critical, and that is this. It is not so much what goes into someone's mouth that, that, that can corrupt them, but what comes out. Because what comes out of someone is an indication of what's already taking place within. You see, the Pharisees were putting all the emphasis on the wrong things. Cleanliness is important. Okay, That should be on tape. It is important. But what's more important is what comes out of a person's mouth reveals where their heart is, spiritually speaking. Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, and thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. And yet, if you correlate that with Luke 6.45, uh, 
Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In the word of God, there's a direct connection between the words that we speak and the state of our heart. And so we, it's important for us to see that. Um, and I, I just want to say, if you really want to know where someone is at, just listen. I think a lot of times, uh, we, we talk a lot about shepherding um, at this chapel, and it's very appropriate that we do so. But a lot of times, um, we really rush to counseling and to having a scripture on hand and, and encouraging and all these things. Very important. But one of the most important things about shepherding someone is listening. If we would first just ask the right questions and listen, then we would be able to really understand where they're at spiritually speaking. Um, and so that's very important. Um, if, if, if someone was to just listen to us speak, if we were to stop and just listen to the words in which we say throughout the week, how are we doing? How are we doing? And so the, the tongue is an indication of one's spiritual maturity, but also um, the state of our heart, the state of our heart. Um, it was told to me in high school, um, you are what you eat. But what James is saying is you are what you speak as well. Because the words that come out of your mouth reflect who you are within. So it's very important for us to know. So there are indications of the tongue. The next thing we see is that there are inflictions of the tongue. The, the inflictions of the tongue. This is the fun section. Uh, the second part of uh, verse 5 and the first part of six, he says, See how great a forest a little, a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. A world of iniquity. It's very interesting, as, as James is speaking of the tongue, he has uh, compared it to two small things that control great objects. But now he broadens it to speak specifically of how the tongue is a world of iniquity. It's interesting, if you were to read this in the Greek, uh, the world there is literally cosmos. It's the word that we would use to really describe uh, creation as a whole, the world in which we live. And what James is saying is that the tongue is, is, a, is, is a fire, a world of iniquity. Um, the capacity of the tongue, the, the tongue has a capacity to inflict great damage. Great damage, and that, that is what he's communicating here. Um, as I said before, the tongue can put any sin into world into words. A world of iniquity, we can put it this way, the tongue is the embodiment of all that is wrong. It's the embodiment of all that is wrong. It is, it is in itself, it's in a league of its own, a world of iniquity is what James is saying. It has great capacity to inflict damage. But notice that he, he then... Um, zooms in on the specific damage in which it can inflict. Uh, the, the last part of verse 6, um, the middle part of verse 6, it says, The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. So the thing we see here is that there is a central damage in which the tongue is able to inflict. That is to say, the words in which I speak can corrupt my very self who I am personally. And it's interesting. I won't make you turn to this one. Uh, Matthew 12, verse 36. This is the Lord speaking. He says, But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And so the words in which we speak, 
the Lord is going to hold each and every one of us accountable for. It's interesting, uh, the idea of that passage in, in Matthew 12 is the Lord is saying at the judgment seat, when sinners come before him, all he'll have to do is look at the words in which they've said in their life, and they're all going to be condemned. He won't even have to consider the sins that they committed. All he'll have to look at is the words. And he says, by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And so the tongue has the capacity to inflict a personal damage. But notice specifically that um, there's a corporate damage that can take place as well. This is a hard verse from what, um, people, from what I've read to, to translate. And the reason for that, it says um, that it's set among our members that, that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. Uh, depending on your translation, it might say the course of living, uh, or the wheel of nature. And, and, and the word that's used there is kind of difficult to translate. But basically what it means is it can set on fire the very life in which we live. So James is saying that the words in which we speak can impact us personally, as the Lord will hold us accountable for, but it can inflict corporate damage as well to, to, to all of those that are around us. A lot of times people will say things like, well, it's my life, uh, or maybe if they speak out on someone, this is an issue between me and this person. But in the eyes of the Lord, that's not how the Lord views us. The Lord views us as if we were a city on a hill and each and every one of us was individual houses. If any of us loses control of their tongue, it's as if one house sets on fire and it's in the middle of a whole neighborhood. It affects every person. And so that's how the Lord um, looks at us. There's nothing that we can say individually, no sin that we can, con- uh, that we can commit individually that only affects us. And this is a, a big principle in Scripture this is the last time I'm going to have you turned anywhere, okay? I promise. But turn to Joshua. Joshua chapter 7. I've been uh, reading through Joshua, and this is uh, something that always re- um, grabs hold of my attention whenever I read through the book. The idea that people will say, well, this is my life. Why does it affect you? Well, well notice that the Lord doesn't see our sins only affecting us as individuals. Uh, This is after the Lord has um, destroyed Jericho. We know the great story of how they march around the city and the walls fall, and it's a a great victory for the children of Israel. Um, And now they, but he has given them a specific direction. He, He said, when you go into the city, destroy everything you find. Don't take anything for yourself. And we know the story. I know we know the story, but look at chapter 7 of verse 1. This is um, as they have entered into Jericho, have destroyed everything. It says, but the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, of the accursed things, so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. We know the story after this. Um, they, they then seek to go take Ai. And so Joshua sends spies into Ai, and they come back, and they say, oh, the Lord gave us Jericho with, with, with ease. Why don't we just send 3,000 to Ai? It's a small city. The Lord's going to give that to us easily. And so that's what they do. But it seems um, that as soon as they get there, they are just defeated in- instantly. It says that 36 people fall, and they end up fleeing from, from the presence of um, the city Ai. 
But I want you to see in verse 10, this is as Moses falls on the face of the Lord. He's trying to see what the problem is. Verse 10, it says, So the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? And, and here's the phrase I want you to see. Israel has sinned. And they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived. And they have also put it among their own staff. Israel has sinned. He said, well, wait a second, Lord. It was really one guy. Yeah, you can say the whole house is guilty because, I mean, they put it underneath their tent, you know. So obviously you would think multiple people knew. But really, can you say, can you say Israel sinned when it was just one person in the midst of thousands? But in the eyes of the Lord, one person's disobedience affected the entire congregation. And there are countless um, examples of this in Scripture. When each and every one of us sins as individuals, it affects the whole body. Here at Shawnee, it affects the body of believers in which we find ourselves here this morning. And so that's very important when we think of um, the tongue, but specifically also our actions. It can inflict damage, not just on myself, but on the whole body of believers. And that's what James is communicating here. There's a a great corporate damage that can take place. The last thing that we see is the inconsistencies of the tongue. The inconsistencies of the tongue. Um, Look at verse 7. He says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Um, One of my favorite things as a kid was going to the San Diego Zoo the biggest zoo in the, the United States of America, um, the biggest zoo. And uh, it, was, it was just so cool. You, you get to go through, and it's amazing seeing even the, 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 the mightiest of creatures, and yet they're tamed in a cage. But notice what he says in verse 8, but no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. And notice what he says, with it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men, who have been made in the similitude of God. The idea that James is presenting here is you gather together and you might sing praises to God Sunday morning. And yet you use that same mouth to then curse out someone else. He's saying these things shouldn't happen. And and, and notice what he says. You, You use that same mouth to curse men who have been made in the similitude or the likeness of God. You know, it's interesting, as as I've gotten older, I've, um, you know, as you get older, hopefully you you establish your own convictions and you're growing in the Lord and so on and so forth. Um, And verses like... um, Maybe it's Peter, maybe Ben, you could help me, but where where it says, uh, if possible, live peaceably with all men. That was such an easy verse to live by when I was a kid. But then as you get older and you start to establish your own convictions, you have your own opinions, that verse is a very difficult verse to to live by. As much as is possible, live peaceably with all men. It's like, well, Lord, do you really know the people that I'm around? Like when you wrote that verse, I mean, it's kind of difficult. But notice what James says. He says, the fact that these people are made in the likeness of God, the fact that you're speaking out against them shouldn't even be an issue. 
Because here you are, you're, you're, you're offering your praise and worship to, to the Lord, and then you turn around and you're speaking out against someone who's made in the likeness of God. And so as I was thinking about that verse, the fact that I might disagree with certain people on key issues or whatever the case is, the very fact that this person is made in the image of God should be enough for me to, to treat them respectfully, is what the Lord is saying, or uh, is what James is saying. Um, but notice, uh, he, he asks the question, he asks multiple questions that would be very easy to answer with a no, a resounding no. Um, he says in verse 11, does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? No. I mean, it's impossible. You, you wouldn't get good water and bitter water from the same source. Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Again, no. Absolutely not. Thus, no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. You see, what James is saying is, if you look at nature, and the Lord has designed nature in a specific way, where if you want a fig, you go to a fig tree. If you want a grape, you go to the grapevine. You can't go to the same place for, the, for, the, for two different kinds of fruit. If you want good water, you go to the good spring. And so you look at nature, everything has a specific purpose. And so why is it that although all of these elements in, in, in creation offer up one thing, why is it that it's true in our life that we can offer good words and bad words? Why is it that we can use that same instrument to worship our praise and offer our praises to the Lord, and yet that, that same instrument is used to inflict damage upon another person? He says these things shouldn't be. It's not consistent with all of nature. So why is it true of our life? Why is it true of my life, of each and every one of our lives? Um, and, I, and I just wanted to ask this question. Do, do the words that we speak throughout the week, do they line up with the words that we sing on Sunday morning? You know, it's very easy to come here to gather and to, to sing the, the, the songs that we love to sing, to, to say amen to all of the prayers of worship that have been offered. But when we walk out those doors and we live our life Monday through Saturday, is there consistency in the words that we speak with the words that we offer the Lord on Sunday morning? I know for my life, a lot of times there, there's a lot of inconsistency there. And so what James is saying is just look at the words you speak and, and, and you'll be able to see by those words where you stand before the Lord in your spiritual maturity, but then also what's the state of your heart today. Uh, it's very... It's a very challenging thing. I, I, I really struggled with this passage because of how James ends it. Um, there's no encouragement. <laughs> He's like, uh, by the way, no one can tame the tongue. Good luck. You know? <laughs> and I just think, like, James, you got to help us out a little bit. You know, you're going to leave us on the cliffhanger. Luckily, Paul was batting cleanup, um, and he clarified some things. So I lied. I'm going to have you turn to one more passage. Uh, Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. I'm just going to read one verse. And then close in prayer. The last time I spoke, I went over, so I try and, you know, make up for it a little bit. Uh, Romans chapter 6. And we'll look at verse 12. 
He says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And look at verse 13. This is key. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, as your members are instruments of righteousness to God. A lot of people, when they read the New Testament, um, they see a lot of commands, a lot of instructions, and they'll say things like Christianity is really just a lot of rules. Do this and don't do that. Make sure you do this this way and not that way. And that's how they see the Bible. And I really can't blame them for seeing it that way. But when I read the Bible and I read verses like this, I find it to be really liberating, really liberating. Because whenever the Lord says to do something, what he is assuming is that you have the right to do it. So James says, no man can tame the tongue. No man can tame it. It is hopeless. And it is absolutely hopeless for any man to tame the tongue, except for you here this morning, if you're a child of God. Because the Lord has given us the ability to present our instruments, which, by the way, our tongue is an instrument, but to present that to the Lord to be used for his glory and not our own um, selfish gain or devastation towards others. And so we ask the question, well, how then should I go about trying to control my tongue? And it's very difficult. Uh, after 27 years, I really can't give you the answer to that. Besides what Paul says here, don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness, but present it to the Lord. Now, use your tongue for the Lord's glory. Don't use it to, to put others down so that you can think more highly of yourself but to use it specifically for the Lord and for his glory. And so the question for us again, uh, do, our words that, do the words that we speak throughout the week, are they consistent with the words that we sing on Sunday morning? And if not, what needs to change? May we make the change and present ourselves to the Lord uh, for his glory. Uh, let's just close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, uh, we do just come before you uh, this morning and uh, we look at um, passages like this in scripture and our response is, Lord, how can we do this? And Father, it's true that we can't do it in and of ourselves, but you give us the grace and the ability to do so. And so, Father, we just ask that you would help us to live lives surrendered to the Lord Jesus, that uh, indeed every aspect of our life would be surrendered to him, including the words in which we speak. Father, we ask that we would seek to build one another up and not to tear each other down. Father, we ask that you would help us to point uh, those in this world to Christ, um, especially by the words that we speak. Father, we just thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're thankful that it's because of him that uh, we might not have all things in common, but Father, we have the Lord Jesus in common and we are uh, his children. And we're just so thankful for him and uh, for his work for us on the cross. And so, Father, we just ask that as we go from here, that you would continue to just um, help us to think upon these words and apply them uh, and to give you the glory in all that we do. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.